of Arena Church uh, is a friend of Eric's, is a friend of Phil's, and is a friend of mine. And I am absolutely thrilled to welcome you, David, here tonight. We believe that these guys that we're having special guests coming in are going to help us to lay a foundation for the future. How many of you know, if you want to build something big, you've got to lay a deep, strong foundation. And that doesn't happen overnight. So we're believing that as David comes, whatever's in his heart to share, if you will have an ear to hear, then you'll get something from God. So we're going to release him now. I'd like us to really put our hands together and really honor the man of God amongst us. So let's do that, shall we, now. Bless you, David. Nice to be here. It's nice to travel with Peter too, keeping me sane. Peter's got another magazine that, uh, in fact, he's got two other magazines that you ought to pay attention to. One is uh, is a newspaper, New Life, you call that, don't you? New Life, with great stories, contemporary stories, usually some sports stories, and stories of people coming to faith. Um, you can buy them yourself or you can buy them as a, as a group, and, and that's been going for some years. There's thousands and thousands of copies published every time that comes out. And a, and a very new publication, which I've said to him several times, I think it's, we're on issue three, if I'm counting right, three or four, we've come out. Five, I'm a bit behind. It's five. How, did, how recently did that come out? Yeah, there you go. I'm not that far behind. He said three, so he's actually four. Called Heroes of the Faith. And some of you mature Christians uh, would benefit from it. It's an annual subscription. What is it, £13 or some £14, something like that. Ridiculous. And uh, I've said to him every time uh, I've, I've read it, and I read quite a lot of Christian material, I've gained personal benefit from every one of those magazines. Inspired my faith in some of those who've gone before us and who... We're privileged to walk in their footsteps and to learn uh, from some of those, those people. So you'll encourage Peter if you uh, get hold of some of his materials. Well, it's a joy to be here, as I said, and uh, why, why, would I, why, why would I want to come here? Well, I'm going to tell you. Why would I want to come here? Well, I have lots of opportunities. I could, be in, I could be in lots of places. I could be in the sunshine. I could be the other side of the world. I could be in some of the glitzy, glossy places because I have plenty of opportunities to go to those places. But I don't want to be in any of those places. I wanted to be in town and at home this morning. I have the the incredible privilege after more than 40 years of preaching in that pulpit in Nottingham to preach to what other people God has entrusted to my care with a great team of, of leaders. And it was a joy to be there. And I wanted to come here, and I said to Christian, when you were just thinking about launching this, and he talked to me about some of the things, talked about how he should end what was before, and I don't want to be rude about what was before, but there were some very lumpy carpets in that church. And let me tell you, if you've got rubbish under your carpets, eventually everybody's going to trip over in the carpets. And the only thing to do with them is roll the carpets up and sweep the rubbish out and start again. And that's what you've done, and that's what I encouraged him to do. Get straight and honest. There's been lots of sin that's never been talked about. And thank God, it's all under the blood of Christ. And thank God 
it's all forgiven in the context of where we're at. But for, for you as a group of people, it's wonderful to have what the Bible promises on many fronts, a fresh start. The Bible believes in fresh starts. The Bible believes in restoration, renewal. Wonderful words. You say, what's he talking like about? I've got every right to talk about it. I've been here multitudes of times, run leadership courses in that, that building, been involved when the church was full and when the church was empty. Sent Alfred Misson over there years ago and one of the better periods in the life of the church supported him. And I'm glad that this day's come. So I'm here because I, I want to identify with the journey of what was finished and the statement of what's started. I want to identify it with these guys who lead it because I believe in them. I'm never going to preach anywhere where I don't believe in the leaders. What's the point? If there's no foundation to work on, what's the point of going and working with them? I believe in these men. I rejoice to have meals with them regularly throughout the year and to share the grace and goodness of God and be humble that they would want my wisdom. It's quite a long time since I've been in Mansfield. I used to come through Mansfield more often than I do. I was in a meeting this week about our city. The bishop was there. The chief airman was there. Some of the leading trade unionists were there. Uh, one or two of the professors from the university were there. And one or two Christian leaders were there. Talking about the state of Nottingham. I've been in a meeting earlier in the day where people were talking about some of the issues to do with, with Nottingham. Because our city is like Mansfield. It has the best of news and it has the worst of news. If you come and look at the statistics, some of our statistics are some of the best in the country. And some of the others are some of the worst in the country. And we believe in the power of the gospel. We are the light in the darkness, the hope in despair, the salt of the earth. Yes? And Mansfield hasn't had a great press for a long time. So we say, oh, we should leave it. We should quit and go somewhere where it's easier. No, we should do just what you've done. Recognize that what was wasn't what should be. With honor and dignity, bury the dead. And start over again because we believe in the gospel. Yes? Yes? yes. yes. If you think I'm patronizing, you've got me wrong. You can think that, I don't mind. But it isn't true. Um, I'm just trying to be honest and honoring and, and also confess my faith. I read in my own devotions this morning from Jeremiah 30. He talks about restoring the fortunes of Jacob's tent and having compassion. He talks about rebuilding ruins. He talks about proper order. The palace will stand in its proper place. He talks about songs of thanksgiving and songs of the sound of rejoicing coming from a people who find new joy in the Lord. Anybody want to believe for that sort of yes. thing? He talks about adding to our numbers and not decreasing them. Yes. He talks about our children being as in days of old, and about a community being established. Lots and lots of other things there in that Jeremiah, Jeremiah scripture. And I believe in that sort of God. Yeah. Who transforms individuals, he transforms families, and he has the power to transform whole communities. Yes? Yes. So with you people believing in the eternal purpose of God in this town, this town has more hope than if you weren't here. 
political people, people who have the power, they need to know in a humble but confident way that we're going to make a difference. Yes? Yes. I brought a lady to me. We had a presbytery prayer. It's like when our, our local church elders, ah, after one of our meetings, we just gather and they set the room out in a nice, relaxed way so that anybody from our congregation can come and they can bring anybody. We would like to try and do it in twos, as two of the elders, but usually so many people come, we can't do it in twos, so we end up praying individually. We pray for about three hours. Through an evening, people come along and want to share something and ask advice or receive prayer. And it's a wonderful thing we do a couple of times a year. And we had one two Tuesdays ago, two, yeah, two Tuesdays ago. And a lady in our congregation called Vicky, who herself was an incredibly broken, damaged individual, who by the grace and kindness of God and the love of some of her friends was brought into the life of our church, I'm guessing five years ago, and has made a slow, sometimes, and sensational at other times, journey to faith and wholeness. I talked to her this morning. She was dressed beautifully. Not that that's everything, but she really looked a lady. She didn't always look a lady when I first met her. And just to see the light in her eyes and the joy in her heart, this is the gospel of Christ. <coughs> Nothing else can do this. Nothing in the world. Nothing. She brought her twin sister. Her twin sister's called Paula. She brought her for prayer. She brought her on the Alpha course, actually, and the Alpha course was on downstairs, and they said, well, before we have dinner, let's nip upstairs to the elders' prayer and see if somebody will pray for us. And I got to pray for them, which was an honor. Paula and Vicky are twins. They were deserted at birth with all the mutilating emotional things that that does to you. And both of them hugely damaged people. Paula would self-confessedly say she wouldn't want to show you or reveal herself, but she wouldn't mind me saying, I'm sure. She still abuses herself. From the age of 17, she's cut her body and still does. The day I prayed for her, her legs were severely bandaged because she keeps abusing herself. But her sister's love has brought her closer to Christ. And she's on an alpha course. I said, well, how, how should we pray? And she said a few stumbling things. She's a very insecure and broken lady. And, you know, I had the joy of saying to her, you know, Paula, there's only one thing you need to know. And that is that Jesus loves you passionately. He just loves you. And as soon as you can believe how much he loves you, you'll start to love yourself. And as soon as that journey happens, what's happened to your sister will happen to you. Now, when you're in a broken state like she is, you can't believe it. So it's just step by step, step by step. And through the doors of this hall or wherever you meet, the broken Paulers of Mansfield are going to find hope in Jesus through you. My God. Is that exciting? Yes.
Better than winning the lottery, I tell you. Yes. Much, much better than winning the lottery. If you're new and you're worried, don't worry, I, I, I'm emotionally incontinent. <laughs> but I'm perfectly sane, sensible, and in my right mind. I'm overwhelmed by the goodness and kindness of God constantly, and the older I get, the worse I am. And, you know, I've ceased worrying about it, because people think, oh, you're supposed to be a man. I am. I'm a man. And I cry. A lady came to me between our services today, or after one of them, I think it was between. She said, uh, I don't even know this lady's name. She looked me in the eye. She said, thank you for the message. I said, that's very kind. I appreciate your encouragement. She said, it meant so much to me today. I'll just give you a headline of the message in a minute, just so that you know. It's not what I want to talk to you about, but I'm just going to say that, and I'm very conscious that we're going to finish in time to have a bit of fellowship, a cup of tea before the, the lights go out. And, you know. Is that because the money runs out in the slot in the meter, or because they locked the door? Or have we not pushed it that hard yet? Did Mansfield win today, by the way? They were playing here today. Does anybody remotely know what happened here? Oh, they played yesterday, so... Who, who's, is that a smaller team? Okay. Okay. They hire the pitch. Okay. So this lady, she said to me, okay, nice message. Appreciate it. I said, well... She said, six years ago, I buried my 14-year-old daughter. And I found it very hard, and I still do. And I'd also spoken about abortion. She said, when I was a young woman, I had an abortion. And it hurts me ever so much. But she said, I'm ever so grateful that the way you preach today helps me to know that it's all right. It's all been dealt with. God is with me. Help me to see it in a new way. And that's why I'm here. I believe in the gospel. I believe in those who lead it. I believe that this town needs this message. I believe that you are going to rejoice that God does restorative work in this town, the like of which you are going to open your eyes and go, I can only be God. When I was a very young preacher, I used to pray very regularly. And I was a bit naive and simple about it. I used to pray, God, will you do something so great in this city that the only person who can get the credit is you? I still pray the prayer, although I now understand what the implications are. Because the implications, if God is going to do what only God can do, I can't make it happen. Which means we have to depend on him. Yes? And how many of you know he is very dependable? So I'm praying with you and happy to rejoice with you in the beginning of what is happening here I'm praying with you that God will do through you in Mansfield something so great that the only person who can get the credit isn't Christian and his leadership team, but the Lord. Amen? Amen. 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 What I was talking about this morning was needing, needing to understand the world from a different point of view. We live in time and space. We can't do anything about it. That's our world. The evangelical atheists around, some of whose names you know, the Hawkins and the Dawkins, etc., 
they want you to believe a message that this is all there is. If you believe that message, you cease to be a human being. You become a cog in an inconspicuous and unimportant and unpurposed world. But that's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that God created the heaven and the earth. That means he's bigger than it and he stands outside of it. He doesn't live in time and space. He lives in eternity. You say, I don't understand that. You're not supposed to. One of the problems our scientists have got is that all the time they keep examining <clears throat> an expanding universe. Their mathematicians do their work. The astronomers do their work. They all do their work. And I'm not trying to be a clever scientist here. I only wish they would separate their science from their atheism and declare a conflict in interest like we do. We're Christians and we believe in creation and we declare a conflict in interest. They need to be honest and declare a conflict in interest because their science doesn't support their atheism. So where we want to get to is to understand that this God who lives outside of time and space in a place called eternity is infinite. Mathematicians hate infinity. They want resolution. They want to get every set of numbers to come to a conclusion. And as they study the cosmos, as they look at all, they keep coming up against something that is beyond them, called the infinite. How many of you know it's God? You say, I'm not sure whether I want to believe that. Well, just hold it there. Here's why you need to understand that we are more than just people of time and space. Because if that's all we are, and we're just the happenstance, it's all uncontrolled, unguided, it's just coming from here to there for no reason, our lives have no reason. If Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 isn't true, that God created the heavens and the earth, the whole of life is untrue, and un unpurposeful, and your life is without meaning. And I haven't met a human being who's genuine and real about things who actually believes that that's what their life is about. Because Ecclesiastes says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of every man. Something inside every one of us knows we're more than a dog. We were born for a reason. The book of Ephesians says that God, before he made the world, had a plan for the world. That through the church, that's us. He was going to reveal his eternal plan, his eternal purpose... To all the principalities and powers. <clears throat> and I simply want to say, particularly those of you who are mature Christians, who've allowed your lives to get trapped with things and doing and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with things and doing and stuff. I'm thankful for a nice car to drive and a nice house to live in and nice places to go on holiday and money to spend. I'm very thankful to God. If I didn't have them, I'd still be thankful to God, but I'm thankful to God for his blessings. But they're not what life is about. Life is about more than things. And we need to understand. When we, how do we? Because we're trapped in time and space. So how do we get outside of it to get a look from outside into where we are? The psalmist says, who have I in heaven but you? So God lives outside of it. He came into this world in Christ to come to where we were from where he was. 
to try and make his eternal world more real and acceptable to us. And then he said, I want to take you with me into my world. Who have I in heaven but you? So the heaven, the world of eternity, I'm not just talking about the heavens or the universe. I'm talking about that beyond whatever is created. Oh, that belongs to God. It's his zone, it's his throne, and it's his home. And he says, Phil, I'd like to hold my hand. Like I hold my little grandson's hand. I get down on my knees as I did this morning when his mother brought him to see me. Because he had tartan pants on. And we had people dressing up in national dress. And the roots of their family are Scottish. So he wanted, he's three nearly. He wanted to show me his tartan pants. Yeah. He wanted to show me his little plastic police car that his nana bought him yesterday. Because he's really up and proud of this plastic police car. And he had a few other bits. Now, I'm the grandfather, so did I stand up there? Because he should honour me, because I'm his grandfather. Do I stand here, and he's three, and he's down there, and look down, oh, yes, nice tart and pants, Joshua. Do I stand and dignify myself? No, no, no. I get down on my knees, right to his eye level. And he's, he's a bit slow with his speaking, so we have to help him along. And he shows me his police car. Am I interested in a plastic police car? Well, I've got a Merc outside. Why do I need a plastic police car? <laughs> I'm interested in the plastic police car because he's interested in the plastic police car. How many of you know the bits and pieces of your life to the eternal, invisible, all-powerful God, uncaused, uncreated, and unaccountable of anybody? Your bits and pieces are like plastic cars. But, you know, in Christ, he's got down on his knees to your level. To show an interest in your plastic cars. And this is all the gospel. It is. It's the gospel. It is. Now my little son had a bit of a runny nose. My grandson had a little bit of a runny nose, you know. And I said to him before, we're having dinner together, Josh, aren't we? Yes. So give me a kiss. And this snotty little nose... You know, while we were worshipping, God got down on his knees in Christ and came to right where we are, offering our acts of praise. And he asked us for a kiss. And us snotty-nosed sinners have been allowed to kiss Almighty God with our expressions of love and thanks. And he says, no, because I've come right to where you are. He said, I'd like you to come with me and I'd like to take you to where I live. Jesus said, I've been here for some time, but I'm going away now. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can be with me forever. Isn't that fantastic? Now, if you go up the Eiffel Tower, anybody been up the Eiffel Tower in Paris? Be careful. One of my friends was there last week, and uh, a carafe of house wine cost 33 euros, which was a bit mind-blowing. And a French coffee, if the waiter knows your English and says, Sir... You like a French coffee? Say, maybe. Unless you've got 12 euros 50 for his French coffee. But my friend went up the Eiffel Tower. It's years since I've known. The cars look like people. The people look like pigeons, and the pigeons look like ants. Because it's a different perspective. I've recently been in the Alps. You climb up the mountains, it's different again. If you come over the hill from 
Melton Mulberry toward Nottingham, you see the Trent Valley, it's just, and you see, you get a different view. God says, I want you to understand that if you can be where I am, and we can only get there in Christ, yes? We can only be there in Christ. We can actually live in eternity now. He said, because heaven is my home, earth is my footstool. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Jesus said, he'd come down, but it said he has been exalted and given a place. He is seated at the right hand of God in that eternal world. And the Bible says that we have been seated with him. Anybody excited about the idea that we've been seated with Christ? So that means in this world where your 14-year-old dies, and you will go through pain. But if you know how to sit where he sits, you'll see it in a different way. You'll mourn, but you won't mourn as those without hope. And into the pain and brokenness of our world, I rejoice that that's the gospel. Okay, that took longer than I thought it was going to take because I got enthusiastic about it. I'd like you to think with me for just about ten minutes about the prayer that Jesus prayed. Part of that journey of helping us broken, snotty kids to get back to a place where we live, where we're supposed to live and be the full human beings we're supposed to be and not these cogs in a wheel or some passing happenstance, but something that's been planned. Jesus had to go through a lot to help us enjoy that. Let me read you a verse. It says this. Mark chapter 14. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And this is what he prayed. And I'd like you to think about this just for a very few minutes with me. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he comes back, the disciples are still sleeping. Most of you remember the story. If you don't, it's in Mark 14. Put a marker in your Bible or get someone to help you and read the passage. I want to say four simple things from this little text. That if we are going to see the gospel released in power in Mansfield, if you're going to see the gospel released through you, if you're going in your life to do the will of God... You've got to learn the principles that Jesus shows us here as he prays. The first is, we'll never... Is that me making a noise? With, with the, is it me on the microphone that's making a noise? What's happening? Do I need it a bit higher? You want it up? Where do you want it? Oh, here. Is that better? Why didn't somebody stop me if that was irritating you? It was irritating me and I didn't even know it was me that was making the noise. Right, okay. He says, Abba, Father. So the first thing we need to learn about the prayer that is that it's relational. All of us, if we're going to make life have its full meaning, we have to develop a relationship with God. We have to know him 
as our father. The idea of Abba is a very intimate. It's like daddy. It's like papa. It's like my little grandson says papa. It's that deeply affectionate, only someone you really know you can talk to like that. Abba. Jesus had a relationship of such intensity with his father. They knew each other intimately. Jesus said, I only ever do what the father tells me to do. So how do each of us develop a relationship which has that sort of intensity? How do we know God like that? It will only happen if you commit yourself to time Study, prayer. It's not just going to... You never know anybody intimately without work, without time and effort. Yes, true. I've been married to my wife for 46 years nearly. And in the languages of love, I know that some things flicker a switch more than others. And if I'm going to be a loving husband, I need at cost. And sometimes it's not that she wants me to bring a, a big present... She likes presents, particularly diamonds, actually, but there you go. Uh, expensive taste, there you go. But thankfully, she likes flowers as well. <laughs> but actually, she wants my time. She appreciates it more if when I'm home, I'm fully present. Yeah. Gentlemen, are you listening? Yeah. Part of love is to be fully present. Not to be watching the footy there and something else there. And pretending you're listening to the message because you're not. Part of love is cost. So when God speaks to you, are you fully present? Do you hear his voice? When you get up tomorrow, let's hope it's a pleasant morning. And the sun rises. And you see the autumn colors. And can you see God in creation? Is your, are your eyes open to hear his voice speak to you in ordinary things? It takes time. It takes work. Jesus knew his Abba. So if we're going to make the world a different place, we need to have a relationship with God. Abba, Father. Secondly, we need to recognize that Jesus made a confessional statement in his prayer. He says, everything is possible for you. Now, do we all believe that? Well, we know it in theory, but do we believe it? Everything's possible with God. I was listening to a tape of one of the boys preaching in our own place the other day. I forget the name of the person he was talking about. Someone in uh, uh, the Swedish area, area, Sweden, Finland, Norway, that's up that way. They were having some special youth meetings. And a crowd of yobbles, about 90 of them, I think, came in to the church to disrupt the meeting. They came in with radios and uh, smoking and generally making a big fuss. And even though the service was going on, it's like, you know, we're having a service here, they were all sitting around, long-haired, scruffy, wild, hippie types, all got their radios on, all smoking and shouting and talking to each other across the meeting, shouting that there was no God and all this. And the leader, the leader said, this has gone too far. So he said, okay, you guys, you guys want to tell me there is no God. I'd like just one of you as a representative to come out here and stand and declare in the presence of God that there is no God and you don't believe in him. 
So it took a bit of time, but then one of them had the internal fortitude and came to the front and said uh, that there was no God and he had no power. And he got to purr on power. And he went out like a light. In fact, the power of God threw him 15 feet and he was splat on the floor. All the cigarettes went out. All the radios got turned off. None of his mates moved because they didn't know that if they went and touched him, they'd get it as well. <laughs> so they left him there. They didn't know whether he was dead or alive. How many of you know they all started to concentrate? Because God is real and he has power. Yes? And a lot of those people, that young lad later, he did come round. He was only comatose, not dead. Thank God. <laughs> He came around, he came and stood at the front and confessed Jesus as Lord. And they had a revival among young people. Because you know Jesus' prayer? Everything is possible with you. Now the things that you're looking at, personal sickness. Christian said earlier on, you know, some of you may have been believing things for a long time. That's all right. We haven't got much of a theology for Easter Saturday. We've got a great theology for Friday when Jesus dies. And we've got a great resurrection message, but we don't know how to deal with a bit in between. We don't know how to deal with confinement, darkness, limitation, no answers. It looking as though it's not happening. We haven't got a good message for Easter Saturday. But the gospel has a great message for Easter Saturday. Just hang on. The promises are true. Easter Sunday's coming. But we do get Easter Saturdays in our life. We do get Jonah's whale. All of us. We only start praying seriously when we get in Jonah's well. Otherwise, we're on with our own life instead of what God wants us to do. So we need to learn not only to have a relationship with God in prayer, but to have a confession. That in our speaking out, we confess like Jesus did, everything is possible for you. And then he also, it was a petitional and a personal prayer. It was very honest. Now, lots of us, lots of us, if you're brought up in a Christian environment, some of you are children in Christian homes and whatever, and you've grown up, we, we, learn, we learn a way of talking. And we pray in what's called an acceptable sort of Christian way, the sort of way we think other people want us to pray. We pray some ludicrous things. We need to stop ourselves. You know, if these guys are sitting here in the front row, wouldn't it be madness if I stood up and said, let's just all pray for a few minutes? It's really sad that the leaders of this church haven't been able to get here yet. Let's pray that they'll come. And they're sitting on the front row. So why ever do you pray, Lord, will you please come here? Because he said, I'm always going to be with you. In fact, he's everywhere. He said, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to live in you. So why in the world when he's with us do we ask him to come? What we need to pray is, God, help me to recognize that you're here. Help me to know you in such a way that I understand your presence more. So what we need to learn to do in prayer is to get honest with God. Because he knows how you feel anyway. So if you're pinged off with something, it's perfectly all right in prayer to say, Do you know, God, I'm really pinged off with this. You say, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, you can. He might say, that's good. I'm really glad you've admitted that. Because now we can do something about it. That's why the Psalms, in the center of the Bible, through 2,000 years of Christian history, have been part of the fundamental 
tradition of people's spirituality. From Catholics to Eastern religion, Reformed, all through, the Psalms have been a foundational part of people's lives. Why? Because the Psalms carry in them all the words that express the extremes of our distress and our delight. They're all in there. It doesn't matter. You pick it up every day, it'll, it'll just resonate with something of where your life is. And the psalmist, he was dead honest. He said, God, I feel like punching their lights out. He doesn't actually use punching their lights. It talks about smashing their teeth. Well, it's the same thing, isn't it? That's what it actually says in the psalms. So you need to be honest with God. As Jesus was in his relationship, he says, Lord, take this cup from me. I don't want this. I don't want it. Because until you get honest, it's not going to work. And fourth, and finish, he says, yet not what I will, but your will be done. So it was relational, it was confessional, it was personal and petitional, and it was submissive. Because in the end, he said, even though I don't want this, even though it's not the way I choose it to be, I want my life, we want this church to work the way you want it to work, not the way we want it to work. So even though this is what we feel, your will be done. Yes? Anybody want to agree with that? What about our own lives? Not what I want, Lord. And it's because Jesus was prepared to live in this way and go through this pain. This is happening to him when the weight of the sin of the whole world is coming on him and he's still able to pray like this. And that's why he can hold our hand and say, come with me to my father's house and give us a view of our world from an entirely different perspective. One or two questions for you as I sit down. One, how how is your relationship with Abba? God who created you, he's there waiting to kiss your snotty face. I'm not wishing to be rude. We're all sinners. Count me in. I'm damaged goods in recovery. I'm just amazingly grateful to how good God and kind he's been. To have forgiven me to the degree that I, I know I'm forgiven. But what's your relationship like? You say, oh, God's not interested in me. He is. That's why he sent his son to die for you. Is there anything going on in your heart that says, you hear his voice saying to you, come please, give me a bit more of your time. Recognize me when I'm around. See me in the wonder of nature. See me in other people. See me in the Bible. Come to me in prayer. You say, I don't know how to pray. Well, just come and say, God, I don't know how to pray. But I'm going to turn the telly off. And I'm going to put the paper down. And that OK magazine, well, it was a bad idea to buy it in the first place. It probably was every time. And I don't know what to do next, so I'm just going to sit here. And I'm just going to think about you the best way I can. And I'm just going to say what comes into my head. And first of all, I'm, I'm grateful that you've given me life. And whatever else comes into your head, thankful that I've eaten today. I'm thankful. Th- and you'll soon begin to work out. God draws near and you feel his presence. So how, how do you need to stop and enjoy him, come to know him better? What needs to happen in the busyness of your life? Over what situation, over what situation in your life do you need to look that rotten thing in the face and say to it, listen, 
circumstance. Maybe it's relational stuff that's gone wrong in the past. Maybe there are issues of unforgiveness. Maybe there's unanswered prayers about children who you wish loved God. Maybe, 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 maybe. Maybe you need to go home and sit somewhere quiet and look at those circumstances and say in their face, circumstance, name it, everything is possible to God. And begin to believe that what he said, he can do. Where, in the context of proper honesty, where do you need to get really honest with God? Something that you don't appreciate, something you don't like, something that you think he's let you down about, just tell him straight. Sit down quietly and be honest with him. Learn to pray relationally, confessionally, and honestly, and personally. And then do what the prayer that he taught us to pray says. Kingdom come, will be done. And as you as individuals open your hearts to God like that, as Jesus did in his moment of need, something will grow in you of a spiritual power. And as a community together you pray like that, guess what will happen? God will show his power and his kingdom will come. And people who today are like the Paul as I told you about at the beginning, who are wandering about or sitting in their houses or in the psychiatric unit or taking pills or alcohol all over this community or maybe run away somewhere, they'll find their way to the foot of the cross and they'll thank God that you started a church for them in Mansfield. Amen.